for the marathon site. Like what, like, what do you think my perfect day, perfect training all comes together in my lifetime? Like, like what is my potential? And like, so we had that conversation and they're like, uh, him and my coach's boss were like, you can run X time, but you're never going to run. I'm never going to run like a 220 something. Right. So it's like to know that within my capabilities, like what I've shown over time that I have the potential to run within this certain time. Like there's just so much curiosity about like not leaving untapped potential. So that like also is a part of it because I know if I don't do the hard things, then I'll never know if I've like tapped that full potential. And, you know, at this point, you know, I'm 35 years old and I, I'm in like the peak, like the prime to, to go after this potential. And so like, it just makes it easy to want to do those hard things because I'm like, this is the time for this. That was Devin Yanko. And you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 108. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. I'm so glad you're joining me today. This episode is part of season 13, which to be honest, feels totally wild. (laughs) Have we really made 13 full seasons? Apparently, yes, yes, we have. And with each new season, I'm more in awe and more grateful than ever for the way that my guests are willing to show up and to be real about their messy, imperfect lives. I'm also super grateful for you, for listening, for taking two minutes to leave an iTunes review. Seriously, this is such a huge help in spreading the word and helping new people find us. And of course, I'm grateful for those of you who support and fund the show on Patreon. This is truly a community-funded podcast now, and in 2018, you can look forward to five new seasons. That's the plan, five full new seasons in 2018, and they will be more honest than ever before. I would also love the chance in 2018 to meet you in person. Um, My hope is to do 10 small, intimate, and fun Real Talk Live events. I did the first two um, in August and September of 2017 in London and in Portland, and I am hopefully heading to Boston, Seattle, Los Angeles, Chicago, D.C., and more, and you can find details and grab a ticket at NicoleAntoinette.com slash events if you are interested in doing this Real Talk thing in person and becoming friends in real life. That would be so much fun. In the meantime, I have a wonderful guest to introduce you to today, but in case you're new to the show, I wanted to first take a second and just quickly explain what we do here. So at the heart of it, my guests and I are committed really to just one simple, powerful thing, and that's telling the truth about our lives. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. No one has a magic bullet, 10-day, six-step life hack plan for anything at all. I am a recovering self-help addict. That's my sort of like joking, but not so joking (laughs) description of myself. And I'm so over that approach. And I bet that you are too. That's probably why you're here. So that kind of thing is not what the show is about. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, 
coaches, adventurers, artists, activists, and many others, and we dive deep into meaningful topics like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, fear, courage, change, and just about everything in between. This is definitely an adult podcast covering adult subjects and, warning, often using adult language, and we never shy away from telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way, even when it's uncomfortable. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. (laughs) So with this mission in mind, you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions. These honest conversations are 100% listener funded, made possible by awesome regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight episode season. The show is and will always be free, but if you love it, if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, I hope that you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. You might have heard me say this before, but I seriously do believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world that we want to live in. And when you help to fund this show, that's a vote. You're voting for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a wide-ranging group of people, the vast majority of whom are women. And when you support this show, you're just saying loudly and proudly that women's voices deserve to be heard and that no topic at all should be off-limits due to fear or shame. This is a show by truth tellers for truth tellers. And as a thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, my weekly behind the scenes email series, where I share my real life in real time. And you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for more real talk live events. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Devin Yanko. Devin is a woman who loves to run. She runs roads, trails, and mountains and covers distances from 5K to 100 miles. Since 2006, Devin has run more than 40 marathons and 40 ultramarathons, winning and setting a course record in many of those races. She's a four-time member of the USATF 100K national team, including the 2009 gold medal winning team in Belgium. She's also a three-time RRCA marathon national champion, the 2010 50-mile road national champion, the 2011 100K national champion, and a 2012 Olympic trials marathoner with a marathon PR of 238.55. In 2016, she placed third in the prestigious Western States 100, and in 2017, she won the Leadville 100. In this episode, Devin talks about the mental side of doing hard things, grit, mental toughness, giving yourself grace, improving your inner self-talk, and knowing when to push versus when to quit. She tells stories from her most memorable racing experiences and talks honestly about injury recovery, falling in love with the grind, how she chooses which goals to pursue, and so much more. I love the thoughtful honesty that Devin brought to this conversation, and I hope that you enjoy hearing from her as much as I did. So all of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. All right, we are rolling. Devin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I was trying to think this morning when the last time was that I saw you, and I couldn't remember. Do you remember? I do. Uh, We were at the Olympic trials for track and field. We were in Eugene. We stayed in a house together and we were both spectating all of the 
um, all of the events at track and field for the last 2016, like summer Olympics, it was the track trials. I could have sworn that I saw you. Were you not in Sacramento for, um, USA's this year? I was not. Um, I couldn't, I was up at Western States kind of. Oh, right, 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 right. (laughs) It's my birthday weekend. So if I'm not running, I kind of like go up and high five everybody and then get away from really stressed out runners who are about to run a hundred miles. So (laughs) I just, yeah. Yeah, man. Then I guess, yeah, it was the Olympic trials. That was such a fun weekend. Oh man. So much. So good. Other than the fact that I had to go to urgent care to get a toenail removed but other than that it was super fun <laughs> yeah that doesn't sound which toenail uh my big toenail because I had just run western states 100 like the week before um and I had gotten a really bad blister which got infected under my big toe um and I was like back running and you know we were doing those runs in Eugene and uh, Dr. Lesko, uh, with Wazelle, like I had her look at it one day and she was like, yeah, you need to go to urgent care. <laughs> it was like really massively infected. Um, so that was fun. Well, <laughs> all right. I'm just going to let that sit there. That sounds yeah. horrible. That sounds like something I don't ever want to have is an infected blister under my toenail. So yes. thanks for taking one for the team. You can have that yep. happen. Um, yep. tell I'm me, just keeping it weird from the start. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm into it. I'm here for it. I think it's amazing. So with that in mind, tell me the strangest or most random job you've ever had. Uh, when I was in high school, um, I actually went to all of my classes were at a community college. And before my classes, I worked in a basement gym, folding towels at 5am. <laughs> Clean towels, Clean towels. That's really funny. What is your current guiltiest guilty pleasure? This is my random, I want to know fun facts about you. Time. Guiltiest guilty pleasure? I don't know. I watch some pretty trashy TV on occasion. <laughs> uh, you know, having been injured, I kind of have like found a way to incorporate trashy television into my cross training routine. So therefore I feel justified because I'm just, you know, trying to distract myself while doing something incredibly boring for a really long time. What's your usual mode of cross training? Um, well, it, this last couple of weeks I've been pretty much allowed to do most things. So, um, I've been riding, I have a bike on a like smart trainer in my office. Um, and I really love doing the stair climber, Um, because I can just totally annihilate myself. Um, I can't watch TV while stair climbing because it's just too hard. Yeah. It makes me dizzy. Yeah. (laughs) And I always think that I can go like the max time on it. Like the machine is like, you know, you get on, it's like, would you like to go between five and 99 minutes? And I'm like, well, I'm going to go 99 minutes. And then like, you know, 60 minutes into it, I'm like, I I think I might die from dehydration. I'm sweating (laughs) so much. It's been a really long time since I was on a stair machine, but that would be such good training for me for long distance hiking. I've done like when it was too smoky here with all the fires um, in August, I was doing like hiking on a treadmill, which I mean, is the most boring thing you can imagine indoor hiking with a pack on with a treadmill. Wow. That's, that's definitely some commitment. I have a weird thing about stair climbing. Um, I actually, when I was in like, sixth, seventh and eighth grade, like a couple times, like three or four times a week, I used to 
I played all sorts of sports, but I used to go, I lived in Seattle and I used to go, I lived on Capitol Hill where there's this huge set of stairs, like from the top of the hill down to the bottom of the hill. And I used to do repeats. Like I'm like, you know, like 11, 12, 13. And I would do that like a couple times a week, like 10 repeats and then go like to whatever, you know, practice I was doing, whether it was like soccer or basketball or volleyball. But like, so I've always had this weird kind of like obsession with stairs and I don't have any idea why I started doing that. So like getting on the stair climber now is actually kind of like, I don't know. I re I weirdly like it. So I don't just do it when I'm injured. Um, sometimes I do it as just like a second workout, depending on what I'm training for. When did you first realize that you were a fast runner? Um, that's kind of a tricky question. <laughs> um, I, I didn't run track or cross country in high school, but I really loved to run. Um, and my freshman year in high school, when we were training, like doing really long runs for like our soccer team, um, we would run around like, you know, six soccer fields or whatever at a time. And I could lap the entire team. Um, and so like at the time I was definitely like, that's weird. Like I can definitely run faster than a lot of these girls. And a lot of the girls were also like very good runners. You have to be to play soccer, but I didn't really <clears throat> like quant. It didn't really like sink in like the idea that I had potential as a runner until I ran my first marathon, um, on like, okay. Training, you know, like downloaded off the internet you know, from runner's world. And, you know, I had it on my, I was living in London at the time. So I was like 22 years old, you know, doing moderate training, but not knowing what I'm doing. I don't know how to hydrate. I don't know how to fuel. And I ran a Boston qualifying time in my first marathon. Um, and that was the first kind of like, huh, maybe I have potential at this longer distance stuff. I had always loved, I had done a ton of running in high school on my own as training. Like I probably ran between 30 to 50 miles on my own per week. Uh, but like, it was just my stress reliever versus like a competitive thing. Um, so it was probably like about the time I did my first marathon, which was 2005. Um, and I subsequently like dropped my marathon time from a 3:38 to a sub three hour in like something like 14 months. So, um, it was pretty early on in my career that I was like one long distance is definitely my jam. And two, I have like decent, not, you know, mind blowing speed. Mm -hmm. What made you decide to sign up for the first marathon then? So when I, so I, I played basketball, um, in high school and the beginning of my college career. And once I stopped doing that, um, I took like a year, to a year and a half off of all kind of physical activity because I had really just totally annihilated myself by training eight hours a day and like wrapping too much up in basketball. And I just needed, like I was injured and worn out and just done. So I <clears throat> did nothing. And then that having always been active, I mean, I played like, you know, like baby, like two year old indoor soccer, right? Like, so I've been playing sports my whole life. So the whole not active thing didn't work for me. And I <clears throat> was living overseas, uh, studying abroad in Cape Town, South Africa. And I 
started running um, with my roommates. They're like, Hey, let's just, you know, run a couple days a week and let's sign up for this half marathon. And I was like, okay, like that sounds fun. And I had run one half marathon as a sophomore in high school, um, just on a whim. Uh, I ran like a 156 or something, you know, on like, you know, whatever a 15 year old does in terms of training, which is let's not very much. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) so I did that half marathon in Cape town and it was just like, kind of like, it just reawakened like that latent, like love of sport and being healthy and like my, you know, it's, and like that connection to running and how important running had been for me. And it was clear that like, I really liked, you know, I didn't do the whole 5k, 10k thing. Like I went straight to the half marathon. And once I kind of did that, like I instantly was like, well, if I can do this in this amount of time, like I want to do a marathon. Like it just was like, I just felt called to do it. And so, um, I came back from South Africa, finished up my undergrad and, like moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, for grad school. And I, in my mind, I started, I was like, I'm training for a theoretical marathon. But at the time I didn't like, this is 2004. Like it, it, like the resources to like, understand like how to train and like find races online and, you know, one easy step, it wasn't there. So I was just like accumulating mileage and things like that. And I thought that, so I, after I finished grad school, in January 2005, I moved to London to work um, on a work visa. And I just thought I could show up in London and like sign up for the London Marathon. And it's like January and the race is in April. And I find out later that like, you know, the April's the, 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 the lot, there's like a lottery and like 40,000 people are running this race. And I'm totally silly to think I can just like show up and sign up for it. Um, so uh, I really wanted to run a marathon at that point, and I had traveled up to Scotland. I went into uh, like I traveled all around Scotland, and I was in love with it. So um, when my work visa was about to be over, I signed up for the Edinburgh Marathon because it was going to be like my last chance to go to Scotland and also fit the bill for like running a marathon. So it just kind of like happened because I loved the place where it was in and like the train I had been doing this theoretical training. Um, so yeah. And it just kind of like went out of control after that. Do you remember, was there a specific day or conversation with someone when you decided to pursue this seriously? Like, I'm curious what that looked like this switch between, Oh, I didn't train that much. And Oh, I ran this Boston qualifying time and Oh wait, but maybe I could do this at a professional level. What did that transition period look like? Um, well, I mean, I, I didn't really think like, oh, I can do this. It, it took a long time to kind of see myself as being able to be even competitive because like I didn't go into running to be competitive. Like when I started, I was like, I'm doing this for myself. I need to maintain like the purity of why I do it because I didn't want what happened with basketball to happen with running, which was, you know, like burned out on it. And I don't think about basketball. I don't love basketball. I don't care about basketball anymore. And I was like, I don't want that to happen with running. Like this is my thing. 
Um, but I also have like my, what I think of as my like talent in terms of like sport is like my like trainability. Um, I do respond like, you know, everybody has the ability to put in the work, but like my body responds really well to the work. So like when I wanted to be a better basketball player, like I worked out eight hours a day and I became like one of the best basketball players in the country. Right. Like I actually have that trainability. So <clears throat> after I did my first marathon and like realized I had done this thing that like a lot of people aspire to do, like a lot of people just want to make it to Boston. And I had done it accidentally in my first try I was like well if I did that on that much training what would happen if I did like the next level of training and if I <clears throat> wasn't living in London and drinking a double whiskey for every mile I ran like <laughs> you know like you know I, I just kind of had this natural very process driven um kind of like mentality about it and so it was really like my own like internal motivation. Like, I wonder what I can, if I put into this, what can I get out of it? And I didn't really, in the first year, it was still not about like being competitive necessarily because the times I was putting down, like in a, in like small marathons or whatever, like they're good enough, but it wasn't really um, until I, so I did my first marathon June of 2005. Uh, I did my first ultra marathon in 2006. And the race that I chose for that 50K happened to also be like the USATF uh, Trail National Championship. And it was really competitive. And that was the first time that I did a race. And when I finished, and I finished in the top 10, where I had other women, like some of the top women in sports, uh, sport be like, who are you? You need to come. And they like told me which events they, they were like, you should come try to get on the hundred K, you know, you at team USA, like we heard you're fast, like where it was like an acknowledgement from that community that like I had this potential because until then it was more like, I'm just going to keep training to run, you know, faster marathon times or, you know, find different ways to challenge myself. But that was the first time it was really acknowledged. And then from that point, I really like immersed myself into ultra running and had, you know, I had a lot of success uh, very early on in, in my career. So it just kind of, at that point, it was like, oh, I can, like I was by the middle of my first full year of ultra running, you know, I had sponsors and things like that. And it's not something that I like set out to do. It just turned out that I had found something that matched up with what like my talents were and my, and that I really enjoyed and thrived at and loved to find challenges in. So this is going to sound like a silly question probably, but for, <laughs> so, for someone who's not familiar, can you just define what it, it, technically an ultra marathon is? Yes. Um, an, well, a marathon is 26.2 miles. It is only 26.2 miles. An ultra marathon is basically anything that is further than, than 26.2 miles. Um, in the U S that tends to be four distances, which is 50 K 50 mile, hundred K hundred mile. 
there are 200 mile races and there are a lot of races that actually aren't those distances, but we just call them that because I don't know, we have a weird thing about wanting them all to be the same distance. Um, internationally (laughs) races tend to be like whatever the distance the trail is. Uh, so for instance, one of the races that I've done a couple times comrades, which is the biggest road ultra in the world is depending on the year between 86 kilometers and 89 kilometers. So, Ultra running is really long distances, and that can include the road, it can include trails, it can include the track. I mean, technically, it could probably be on a treadmill. It's also right. on a treadmill, but there aren't a lot of people who find that. Oh, my that God, that sounds terrible. <laughs> sounds, oh, man. Um, do you remember the first race that you ever won? The first race that I ever uh yes uh the first race that i ever won was my second ultra that i did um it was jed smith 50k which is held up in the sacramento area um and i also ran my way onto like the 10 fastest 50k all-time list for like us women on on that (laughs) in that race which was kind of crazy like i ran like a i ran faster in that 50k than i had run in my uh debut marathon wow yeah (laughs) it was kind of crazy so that makes me wonder and i don't i don't know if this is true or not i certainly don't want to like project onto you but did you ever have any struggles with imposter syndrome? Like what you just described, it sounds like it happened pretty quickly, like a decent level of success happened really quickly. What was your sort of mental identity adjustment to like, oh, I really do I really belong here? Or who am I to be doing this? Is this a fluke? Did you ever have anything like that going on? Uh, actually, I did. And it, it actually didn't happen initially. So my career, so that's what, it's been 11 years of ultra running. So when I still started ultra running, I was, it was very strange to be a, like a early twenties, you know, runner in the sport. Um, that wasn't a thing. Um, but I was like young and naive and I just loved the community so much that like, I never like kind of, I never thought about it and it was still very grassroots then. So there was like less, of the big production, like big sponsored teams kind of thing around. Um, but a couple years ago, my husband and I decided to open a bakery. And when I did that, I had to step away from ultra running for a while. Um, it just didn't fit in with what I was like, where, like, I can't do it. I was working a hundred hours a week, you know, on my feet, just, there was no space for ultra running. I did marathons, but when I came back to, um, running ultras, the scene had changed a lot. You know, you have suddenly there was like a huge influx of, you know, people who were kind of like road runners who weren't going to make it as a professional as on a professional level as road runners who were starting to come into the sport and have success. And like the competitive level Uh, was going up and those younger people to the sport definitely um, didn't necessarily all have a great sense of history with the sport. Um, So, and I had also changed my name in there because I got, you know, my husband and I had gotten married 
So when I came back to the sport, um, at the end of 2015, uh, I actually had like this insane race. Um, I ran Havelina 100 mile and it was like my first hundred mile in like seven years or something. Wow. That's a long break. Yeah. That was a very long break. And I ended up running, it was at the time, the third fastest trail 100 time for a North American woman ever. Like I just blew it out of the water. Like I ran a 1452, which is like 840 something per mile pace for a hundred miles, like on trail. (laughs) And like, sorry, that's ridiculous. You know, for me, yeah, at, at the time, like I was like, yeah, like this is, uh, I'm like, I'm back. Right. But then as I proceeded forward, like my next couple of races, like the, especially the next race that I went into, which was Sean O'Brien hundred K in which I went, went to do that race to win a golden ticket, to win my way in, to run another race, the Western States 100. So I had to win the golden ticket to get into Western States. Your reward for winning is to run another race. And I, like mentally, it was so, uh, it was such a battle in that race because I just totally had imposter syndrome. Like, what if that was a fluke? What if I'm not that, you know, like, what if, like, I kind of like discounted my whole history, you know, because th- there was only this one race that kind of existed kind of in the time after the bakery. So like, I could you know, in when I was racing Sean O'Brien, I easily justified it to myself to say like, well, maybe all of that success I had before we opened the bakery was for X, Y, Z reasons, you know, like, oh, maybe the scene wasn't that competitive. Maybe I didn't, you know, do the hard enough races, maybe, you know, like all these stupid reasons, but I definitely spent a good 40 miles just like berating myself and like freaking out that like Havelina was a fluke and I'm really not that good and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I won the race and I was like, okay, maybe I need to, maybe I need to actually, actually like give myself some credit (laughs) for like the body of my career and like what I've accomplished and not like, not indulge myself in that thought process, but it was definitely hard, you know, just the way my career had kind of gone to, to not have that come up at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned, I mean, even that, that phrase, that sentence, I spent 40 miles braiding myself. I mean, that's so long. Um, so long. <laughs> so good, so crazy. <laughs> um, I'm interested in just your sort of inner dialogue in general, self-talk in general, whether that's during a race or otherwise, is that something that you even really think about or focus on? Is it something that maybe after that experience you spent time, you know, diligently working on? What has that been like for you? I have been a light, a lifelong uh, introspective person. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I've like learned the, it, it doesn't mean I learned the lessons any faster. Um, so yeah, that experience was not super pleasant. You know, it's, it's like a great narrative. Like, you know, I got really upset and I wanted to drop out and I was being really hard on myself. And then da 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 da, I like charged to the finish line and it was all happy. Well, so it, it didn't, I definitely like reflected on that and I did get into Western States and I, 
my goal was to go, like I showed up at Western States, like in a super zened out place, you know, like really positive. Like I had done so much work to get there and I felt like I did the right mental preparations. Um, unfortunately the race itself, uh, I ended up kind of like in this, the same, but different, like mental, I, I ended up in a dark, a deep, dark, you know, pit of despair in my own mind after, um, at the first aid station, I was supposed to have a crew member there. Um, and for reasons he was not there. And I, so like I had been running in the lead and like I was running with Casey who ended up, she ended up winning the race. And like, we were joking, like we were like singing show tunes and like Disney songs and like skipping through the forest together. And then like my crew wasn't there and I handled it very poorly. Um, I just like, it wasn't on the list of things that I could possibly like conceive of going wrong because especially who the person was like, he's been in the sport for like, since the, since it started and like super reliable. And so I like, basically I like freaked out. I didn't have my stuff and I left the aid station without enough food, food or water, which then depleted me. And even though I was able to kind of like recover that eventually, like, then I was really angry and then I was angry at myself. And then I kind of just like had this shit storm going on in my brain about, you know, it just like, it was like a dog pile of all the negative thoughts. And, you know, if you want to see how that ends for me, you can watch life in a day where you get to see me that inevitably like 30 miles later had me sitting in a chair, like crying, like not knowing how to go on kind of situation. Um, and ultimately we had the same, you know, triumphant narrative. Um, eventually I kind of like pulled myself back and I, luckily I had two people, there were two people at the aid station who really made a difference. Um, they were able to reflect to me like Billy Yang, who was actually making the film and Craig Thornley, who's actually the race director of Western States were sitting there and they're like, Devin, you know, you can come back from this. And they, they reflected to me like the positive things about myself and my abilities that I was not able to like have, I couldn't muster those, that thought process for myself, but like hearing them say like, this is no big deal. Like you're just giving everybody in front of you a chance kind of like thing. Um, I was able to kind of like rally and it was funny, like I had my little pity party and I had spent 30 miles like feeling sorry for myself. But when I got out of the chair, it was like the light switch came on and I, I had fall like basically like fallen out of the top 10 for women. And I ended up like killing the second half and charging back and running my way into third place. But I definitely <clears throat> didn't like in hindsight, I'm like, man, I could have saved myself a lot of grief if I had like given myself some grace. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't feel like in general, that's something I do. I feel like I'm, I'm not like hard on myself for not performing. I'm like hard on myself for like who I am fundamentally as a person. Um, that like, sounds real light all, and easy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So it's like, <clears throat> like, 
it, it, you know, it's like the, the, the idea of worthiness and like lovability, I think like there's that, that deep, deep, dark, squishy place deep in my being where like, that is something that when I am open and vulnerable, like that is what gets exposed. So like when you're running a hundred miles, like you are shredding yourself to the core, right? Like you're going to, if you have any predisposition to go towards that place, like as an introspective person, like you're going to go there. Um, and I, so after Western States, I was like, yay, I'm super happy that it like turned out the way it did, but it's not the most fun way to race, <laughs> you know, yeah. like uh-huh. just being like self-loathing for you no know, eight to 20 hours of time is like not that much fun. Um, and like, so this past summer, um, so after Western States, I ended up uh, not racing again um, until March, February, March, um, because I ended up with an injury that turned into a big, long injury. But this past summer, August 2017, uh, I towed the line again at a 100 miler, uh, which was Leadville. And I, you know, after my experience of Western States, I was like, that. I don't want, I don't, whatever it costs, if it costs me like being competitive, I would rather run this race like with a smile on my face and like not go towards that dark place. If, and like, so that was my goal going into Leadville was like, just don't go to that place. Mm -hmm. Like when things happen, which they will in ultras, just don't let it become about that. Um, and like, I succeeded like my goal was to be the happiest person out there in like a genuine way. And because I am like genuinely a happy person. So like to have a put myself into a situation, which is like a pressure cooker to have that be what I was able to reflect was a really big deal for me. And I ended up winning the race too. So I proved to myself that like the, like the mental cost of being hard on myself, like, it doesn't actually improve my performance. Yeah, I think oof, there's so much good stuff in there to dig into. I remember reading that on your blog when I think you were relaying what you had said to your husband. And you said, I have one goal. I want to be the happiest person out there. And that really stuck out to me, this idea of having fun while being a serious competitor, because I think that oftentimes we see those as things that don't necessarily go together, right? And especially if you have had a history of of success through that dark place, I feel like it would be really easy to like get caught in the false belief of the only way for me to succeed is if I, you know, I'm in this really dark place or I need to be hard on myself because that's the way that I perform. Right. And I don't know, it's nice to hear that you were able to have an experience where that wasn't the case and that you still did well. Well, when I reflect on, if I'm like genuinely reflect on my best performances in the sport, they've all been the ones like granted, like if you're having like this epic physical day and like everything's going perfect, like it's a lot easier to have mentally it be easier. But like my best performances of my career have all been ones in which I occupied a positive space and just like, and never went there. So it's like, it's funny that I even got into that pattern because it's like, it's never been useful. Um, 
but it's like once you know like oh if i just like relax and i'm happy that it's just gonna be this kind of thing it's like no you're gonna have those races where like things go to shit and your brain goes to shit and when you're out there for so long like i i keep saying this and i like it really is true like when you're doing these kind of distances your brain needs to be occupied with something for that amount of time like you're not just out you're not running a 5k in which you probably could just shut your brain off and not like Mm -hmm. you know just be like i am gonna just zone out for 20 minutes right like you have just you're out there in the woods by yourself running around doing something hard like you're you're putting yourself into this position where your brain is going to start that process of being like, you shouldn't do this. This is a bad idea. And here's all the reasons why. And then, and then you have physical problems and then your brain is like, see, I told you you shouldn't be doing this because now you're vomiting in the woods and you're, it's hot and you don't, and why are you doing this? This is a dumb idea. And it's part of that is just literally like the, your brain trying to find something to occupy itself with for that extended period of time. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested on a very specific tactical level. So that happens, your brain is doing that. Then what, like, what do you actually do to not fall down the deep, dark spiral hole? Um, So going into Leadville, I had kind of like my tactics for how I was going to handle it. Um, One, like my my first tactic was like the early miles I was running with friends who were also doing the race and we were just chatting and catching up on life and like keeping it. We joked because they're from the Bay area. We're like, it's just like a normal San Francisco running company, Saturday morning run with friends. Um, so I used that distraction because then I wasn't like just sitting there going, what's my pace? What's my effort? What's my this? And once our little like merry band of runners kind of broke up. I, I realized that having music like as at a specific point, like for a limited amount of time. So like I usually use music to get from like, at like mile 30, I'll start using it. Right. Like I'll just have my iPad, my iPod with like whatever little pump up music I need. Like there's some super trashy music on there. Um, you know, little Justin Bieber, little Taylor Swift, you know, and then it just kind of is, it gives my brain something to think about. It's, you know, nothing like overly serious. And then when that, you know, kind of becomes like not, no longer a pacifier, usually I'll use it until I start having a pacer. And I find that having a pacer um, is a good enough distract is like a good Mm -hmm. tactic for me because like then I literally have, and especially at Leadville, my husband paced me for 25 miles uh, from mile 50 to mile 75. And my friend Rebecca um, paced me from 75 to the finish. And because I had set my goals out, like specifically, like I could say that like, if I felt like my brain was trying to like slip from this, path of positivity I could just be like "Mm, having a hard time and it would be like having somebody else to give you that encouragement and so it just it was like I just had a multi multi multifaceted approach um I will say the funniest tactic that kind of came up spontaneously and I've it really cracks me up because after I wrote this in my blog I've been seeing other people 
use this phrase, um, and it makes me happy every time I see it. Um, <clears throat> at mile 40 something, I left um, this major aid station and I have to do the biggest climb up, up Hope Pass. You know, all Leadville's 10,000 feet. So you're going from like 10,000 feet to like 12,000 something. And up until that point, things had been smooth and I was like feeling physically fine. As soon as I started that climb, and I know how much it sucked because I've done it so many times in training, I got hit with a shit stick, basically. Like, I got dizzy. Uh, like, I suddenly was like, yes, I live at sea level. I think I'm about to die. Like, I bonked. And instead of, like, the, res the normal response would be like, it's way too early, and, like, freak out, I just out loud yelled, plot twist. And I started laughing so hard because it's like, it was just this change of perspective to say, like, this isn't like the end of the story. Like if I'm having a hard time physically, like, then I'm just having a hard time physically. Like, okay, the story just changed. It's not over. And so because I thought that was so hilarious, I just then focused on like, what can I do? And, you know, took more calories, took my time and like, waited it out and I didn't like have anything like I didn't start having like a mental process around like I didn't start like negatively like getting mad at myself for whatever was happening I was like no this is just happening because I'm running a really long ways I live at sea level I'm going up a really hard climb like this is just what's happening right now and I totally recovered and I was really proud of myself for like inserting that humor in there to kind of change my perspective around the thing that was negatively happening physically. It's so funny to hear you say that. I wonder if that's from something because I do the same thing with long distance hiking like that, like plot twist. I do the literally exact same thing. Um, did we both get that from somewhere? That like, <laughs> Probably. Like, I think I saw it on Pinterest or something. Okay. I, I just saw this like random pin at one and that was exactly what came into my mind. I don't know, like, like, I don't know if it actually is like a thing, but it's, well, clearly I guess it's a thing, thing now, now because individually we both do it. Yeah, I find it's I'm, I'm loving everything that you're sharing that this like injecting a little bit of humor. And also you've mentioned this in a couple of different ways. This idea of when something's going wrong in the moment, not making like not making it mean something, not putting too much on it. It's really easy to latch onto this thing is happening and it's bad. And therefore X, Y, and Z terrible things are sure to follow. Like something can just be shitty or you can feel tired or you can be dizzy and you don't have to attach meaning to it. And that for me, I mean, I know that obviously long distance hiking and ultramarathons are different, but there's definitely, I think some commonalities of, oh, sure. you know, this like doing this long, hard thing over a really long period of time. And like, really the answer is just keep not quitting over and over. Right. And yeah. that, you know, sometimes it feels great and sometimes it's the absolute worst and that it doesn't have to mean anything. Like I would get like this year on the Arizona Trail, that was like one of my main things is like, just don't ascribe me, just don't make things mean something. It just doesn't have to mean anything other than just, okay, it's hot. Okay, you're yeah. tired. Okay, you didn't sleep. But like, you're not a robot. You're a human being. Sometimes you're going to feel great. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're going to be sad. What if that's just, what if it's fine? What if you just let yourself, you know, feel those things? And it may, maybe it sounds like overly simple, but that was incredibly helpful for me combined with what you said, this idea of, plot twist, not just because it's a funny thing, right? To be like, okay, plot twist, especially if you say it out loud. But the thing that was really helpful for me, I don't know if you do this too, 
I find that it's helpful to sort of get some distance from my own lived experience in terms of thinking of it like a story. Okay, if my life is a story, if this is happening, of course there's going to be plot twists because any movie or book that's worth watching or reading is going to have, you know, like the character wants something and has to overcome obstacles to get it. So, okay, this is just the obstacle part of the story. And for whatever reason, I find that to be really comforting. Yeah, and I mean, I had read, there's a book called The Brave Athlete, and then there's a subtitle with with a swear with the word fuck in it, but I can never remember anything but the fuck part. But I really like this book. And the thing that I remember, I had read it before Leadville, that really uh, helped me too was it, the idea that only 10% of quits, like times that you actually quit, are legit quits. And when you start thinking about that, especially in the context of doing these kind of hard things, whether it's a long distance hike or an ultra race or a marathon or opening a business or whatever it is. Like, you know, sometimes you're like, you, you really want to quit and you're like, well, this terrible thing is happening and it's so unique to me and nobody's ever felt this way before. And you know, and you're like, nobody in it, when you're doing a race, you're like, you have to take that time to be like, actually, everybody's hot right now. Like when people like Western States, right? Like this year was, I didn't race this year. And it was a snow, there was a lot of snow on the course. And then it was like, extraordinarily hot, right? And I, watching the race, like, there are people who, like, the people who did well, were the people who were like, these conditions exist, right? Like, there is snow, therefore, I'm going to fall on my ass. I'm going to go slow in the first half. And then I'm going to melt for the rest of the day because you were up there you were in sacramento at that time so you know how hot it was it was so i (laughs) i booked a motel that was about less than a mile from the track for usas because i thought okay i'm just gonna walk to and from it was so hot i honestly drove i drove the mile every day (laughs) i mean i was like i was melting i would be sitting in the stands just like absolutely dripping with sweat thinking about western states being like yeah they're having the same temperatures oh my god and so like when you kind of, like you said, like you're separating it out where, you know, people are like, it's so hot and I'm dying. You're like, everybody is actually going through the same thing as you. And when you stop being like, I think it's like, there's these standard things that everybody is going to go, like, there's a list of potential things. And there are even things that are going to happen, like your crew not being there that might not even be on your list. Like, none of those things are like, you're not special that Mm -hmm. this is happening. Like this is, you can't, there's nothing that you can do, like you said, to turn yourself into a robot. So when these things happen, like uh, it's, it's about like addressing the thing that you can control and not letting your feelings kind of like take that thing and like make it personal and make it some sort of like personal failure that like, it's not a personal failure if you're hot and having a hard time in the heat. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's not a personal failure. If you bonk your face off, like it's just part of what you're doing. And so by coming up, like by realizing, like, again, like a lot of quitting is by, I think just kind of like almost like taking things too personally and realize and like being too attached to like one specific outcome. So like if these bad things happen, like just because a bad thing happened doesn't mean that you're like 
that quitting is a legitimate thing to do. It might actually make it harder. Like you might not get your time. You might have to sit in a chair for a while. Like you might not, you know, get the buckle that you wanted, but like that doesn't necessarily mean that you have like a legitimate reason to stop. And a lot of that, like it, a lot of that space is occupied in your own mind. Like when I look back on my own career, I've definitely had some legit quits and I've definitely had some, like, I definitely convinced myself that I was like dying when I was probably not dying. (laughs) So in the moment, how do you tell the difference? Well, the one thing I'll say is like, if like my, the first time I attempted Western States, I was pulled from the race because my kidneys were shutting down. So I did not like have an emotional process around that (laughs) really, you know, it was like somebody, I was like legitimately in danger and I felt bad enough that I was not like, I'm going to go on whatever the cost. Like that was, that's never been my thing. Like I'm not the type of person who would, like break my leg in the middle of a race and fashion a crutch and crutch for 30 hours or something like that's not me. But I think ultimately like when it comes down to it, like you have to know what your goals were going into, like what, what are the things that you're willing to accept? Like going into it, like do you have the goal? Like for me, when I start an ultra, like, you know, most people don't believe me because I'm fast when I say like, I just want to finish this thing. Like if that's my goal, then if something happens that like, isn't like Western States when I'm being pulled out because my kidneys aren't working, like then a lot of the things that come up are pretty, like a lot of things that happen in these races are pretty standard. And so you have a standard way of like working the problem. And if this, I mean, ultimately if the if you can't find a solution to one of those problems, then you need to stop. Like I have one of my very good friends uh, and training partners um, ended up like in a very scary situation this year at Western States. Like she was killing it. She had run her way into like into the lead. And then like, like right after forest Hill and then within like the hour, she was like unconscious on the ground. Right. Like, you know, like things can take a turn for the worst. And it's like, there's no question. Like she didn't have the option. It wasn't like an emotional process to say I should stop. And I don't know. I don't think there's a clear line. Like yeah. if you are vomiting, if you vomit seven times, then you should stop. I think ultimately I'm, I'm a very big advocate of like not doing like, I don't think you should end up in the hospital. I don't think you should push, push past like, a reasonable level. I think you should also like give it time. Like the, one of the things I really like about ultra running is like your ability to take the time you need to work through some of the issues because some of the issues that come up in ultra running, like, so like Western States is here. So fine. It's excruciatingly hot. And that puts you like in a really bad place you have a decent, you have like 30 hours to finish this thing. Like you have the time to sit down and see if it resolves. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and if it doesn't resolve, 
when you stop doing the thing, then you should probably stop. Like there was another girl at the race, her name's Claire and something, she ended up with something happening to her knee where she literally was basically like, she went from crushing it in the top three to like crawl. She had to like crawl to an aid station. Like she was like scooting on her butt, right? Like because something happened in her knee and like, that's like, something turned and like there's not it's not just gonna like calm down and you can get out of the chair like at that point like it's pretty clear but a lot of things if you just take that time um and like work through the different solutions like there can be answers and it's also that choice like I think it's also for like for elites there come also like gets into a a kind of a different conversation Um, if you're, if you have a very specific goal and like, I see it more in like marathoning where you're not, you're having an off day, like, okay, so you got a cold, right. And you have to miss your one event. So you drop out, like I dropped out of the Boston marathon because my darling little nephew gave me a respiratory infection and like, I probably could have jogged it in, but my goal was to try to qualify for the Olympic trials. Right. So I stopped because Cause, I yeah, cause it's to, not worth putting the stress on your body. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted like, I'm like, I'm not unfit to run the time. Uh, so I d- made the choice to say today is not the day. So let me, you know, get healthy and do another race. Mm-hmm. So there is that choice too, but you know, like most people, especially in ultra running and like with hundred mile races and things like that, like people wait years to get in. Right. Like it takes, I mean, the lotteries are so ridiculous. Like it's so ridiculous to get into some of these races that I do find it interesting where like people get into the race and then they get into these, like this bad spot and they're like, well, this is dumb. I shouldn't be doing this anyways. Like, I'm like, you wanted nothing more than to have this experience. And it, you know, the bad parts and the bad patches and the, considering quitting is all part of it. Mm-hmm. Like Leadville's yeah. the first hundred miler that I didn't seriously consider quitting. Like at, like at Western States at Havelina, my first hundred miler way back in 2007 Vermont, like I had had that conversation with myself. Um, and at Leadville I had like briefly was like, I'm just done run. Like I'm just, oh, man, I've run 80 miles. I would just like to be done. But like, mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, so it's part of the sport. I really love your honesty about this, especially in light of the fact that there aren't simple answers, right? Here's the quick fix thing to know if you should quit or not. Like that doesn't exist, right? Like so much of this stuff is messy, but there's so much from what you just said that I can relate to so much from long distance hiking that, I mean, from running too, but I I mean, I never ran distances like that. But this, these ideas of, first of all, I feel like the, the sort of foundation of what you're saying is the ability to be honest with yourself, right? Because I think if we're really, really honest with ourselves, especially if that's something that we've built up as a skill, not just in these really extreme situations, you do know the difference between, 
I actually need to quit to stop, or yeah. this is just a momentary feeling. Like that's like in the hiking community that, you know, they say don't quit on a bad day that yeah. just like you said, like waited wait out. Right. And, you know, for me, it was always really clear when I was thinking about quitting, I would always forward project. I do this in, you know, when I'm thinking about quitting a creative project or, and I've quit plenty of things. I think it's totally fine to change directions. And if something's no longer a good fit and to not make yourself miserable, just to not quit something. And for me, I always tend to forward project, okay, how, if I do quit this today, how am I going to feel about that in a month or in three months? And you know how it feels when you would be so disappointed with yourself and you know how it feels when you're like, I don't really care. I'm over it. Right. And so I think you're speaking about like an element of just self-honesty that's really important. And I really also love what you said about giving yourself the time to try to work through problems. I think we have a very binary approach to this idea of quitting. Like we see two options. You either continue exactly as is and the situation doesn't change and you stick it out or you quit completely. And maybe sometimes those are only two options, but I think there's a whole spectrum in between of, okay, well, what's actually going wrong and can I try to solve it? Like, how can I make this better for myself? Not just blind suffering or quitting. And I don't know, like thinking through like, okay, what's actually wrong? Are you, are you hungry? Are you hot? Do you need to take a nap? Do you need a pep talk from a friend? And like you said, this could be true in business. It could be true in writing a book. It could be true in running a race, like being able to say, what do I actually need, you know, and try to solve some problems first. I actually had a right a month before I did Havelina on my kind of like comeback to ultra. I actually had like a pretty profound experience in my relationship to the idea of quitting, um, I had gone to South Africa to do the ultra trail Cape town. And I, it was a cold and rainy day and the course is very technical. And I basically, I did it because I just like needed to get out away from the bakery. So I went the furthest place away. I love Cape town. I have amazing friends there now. And like, so I go out to do this race that I am, it was not in my wheelhouse at that moment. And then there were bad conditions. So like, imagine being like wearing road shoes on like the most technical trail you've ever seen. That's under like six inches of water and you can't see it. So I like, I'm cold and miserable and having a terribly hard time just suffering and like, every aid station, I just came in crying. Like I wanted every, like everybody in South Africa has seen me cry. Um, and I, it wasn't even like, I'm upset because I'm not winning. It was like, I am just upset because this sucks. And like, I can't stay on my feet. I'm cold. And so I just would be like, okay, I'm just going to quit at the next aid station. And like, I almost fell to my death off like this one part that was like, I had to like climb up this rock and I almost fell backwards. And, you know, so by the time I came into 50 K, I was just like a wreck. And I was in my head, like, I had given myself all the, like, I can just quit. I'm going to quit the next time I see my friend. And like, you know, then stopped raining. And I very distinctly remember having this moment. I was running through part of the course goes through, um, through a vineyard. And I came up, uh, behind essentially the very, very back of the pack of the 65 K. So I'm running a hundred K. These people are basically the last people in 65 K and I haven't like, 
I have been running by myself and I come up to them and they're like, you're doing amazing. And I'm like, let me tell you what, I'm having a really hard time. And they're like, you could just come hang out with us. And I like, I stopped for like a couple of minutes and like walked with them and like, they were super positive and they like, they didn't care that I'm a fast person. They were like, you're totally fine. You should, you know, you're just doing great. And like, I had this moment where I like realized that I like, there were plenty of things that were hard about this and that I didn't like, but I could simply choose at that moment to not quit. And I mentally just was like, I am just not going to quit. And once I took that idea off the table, it, it was like magic, right? Like it didn't mean the course was any easier or I was like falling on my ass any less or like, but it actually just allowed me to be like, this is hard and it's going to be hard. And I don't have to have a mental process. I don't have to do this like, well, the next aid station I'll quit. Like I didn't have to do this like negotiating with myself. Instead, mm-hmm. I was just like, I like I had been in South Africa for three weeks and like I had made all these close friends. I had had this like amazing experience. And I was like, you know what? if I quit this race, it's like talking about like future casting, what you're saying, like if I quit this race, like it's going to put this huge dark shadow over my whole experience. And it's like, nobody really cares if I race well or not. Like people, the people here and everywhere, like it's about like, they care about me as a person and like the race, it just, it doesn't even matter. And I, looked at it like I will be happy and the sun will still be shining on this experience as long as I get to the finish line. And it really just made a huge difference in navigating like the remaining probably like 35 K, you know, where I was just like, Oh, well, Oh, I just fell on some rocks again and busted open my knee. Well, that's still not going to quit. You know, like, Oh, I'm soaking wet or like whatever's happening or, Oh, I have to climb straight up the side of this mountain now. Like it, it just, it, it set me free to kind of like stop having that conversation. Yeah. So the thing that I love the most about what you just said, first of all, I agree. I, my least favorite state of being, I mean, other than, you know, something truly, truly awful happening, um, is trying to make a decision like the decision-making fatigue. Should I quit? Should I not quit? Should I quit now? Should I quit later? Should uh, uh, like that, like the, the act of making a decision, I agree with you is very freeing. And I also love the sort of back to back of the two stories of when you dropped out of Boston because you had a cold and what's there, there was no, that wasn't going to meet your goals. Right. So why do that versus this? Because it's, it's, I think again, really easy to get attached to this idea, this almost like really bro-y idea of like, never quit, never back down, no excuses. And maybe sometimes that's the right approach. You know, like yeah. it sounds like for this race, the right approach for you was to take quitting completely off the table. Yeah. But that's not always the case, right? So it's again, like I think we want, I'm speaking for myself, I always want there to be a really simple answer or like give me the magic bullet advice that I just will yeah. adopt that mindset. And I think that while the never back down, never give up makes a good start story potentially or a good narrative that it's easy for us to kind of culturally put on a pedestal. Again, I think it's more nuanced, which you've spoken to so well with just sort of the juxtaposition of those stories. Sometimes 
stopping is 100% the right decision. Sometimes it's 100% the wrong decision. And it's like, both can be true, you know, so it's having to work through that and essentially like building up enough tools in your toolbox of, you know, mental toughness and self honesty to be able to like recognize what you need in any given situation. Exactly. And also like, giving yourself the opportunity to learn and grow. Maybe like that's where I'm getting to in my career is where I've been doing this for long enough that like I now have a catalog of like of information on like what my own limits are and like when I know that I should push through and when I know I shouldn't and like, like and how my goals and my priorities fit into that. And I think a lot of times people go for that, like what your the bro idea of like quit at no costs, like, because, you know, like that's what we see kind of like we view as like the right curated thing to do, but like ultimately like the right thing for yourself isn't always just to push forward. It's not always, that's just like, not always what's the, like, the best in the context or in the long run or for physical or mental health. And I think allowing ourselves to accumulate experience, I think we get closer to being able to make that those decisions um, more easily. So it's like when I like now at this point, I know when I want to stop doing something because it's hard and, hard things are hard. And it's like, you know, like I'm like being, being injured and being crossed, like cross training, right? Like I kill myself on the bike, right? I push. So I don't know how to ride a bicycle, like at an easy pace, but I get on that bike and I do my intervals and I, it hurts so bad. And I want nothing else to like my, my brain is like, let us quit right now. And I've just decided that I'm not going to quit. So I do this hard thing and then I'm really happy that I did it. And I'm like, huh, well, I have just built a skill about like, I can persist doing this thing that's really uncomfortable. And like, I didn't die. Nothing happened. I actually got fitter. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like allowing myself to take something away from like the idea of persevere- persevering through the hard thing. I totally agree with you. I, um, I mean, at the time of this recording, I'm also starting to put together um, sort of a Q&A post-hike podcast. Um, I took questions on Instagram and um, from the Patreon community. Uh, I mean, by the time this airs, that will have already come out. But anyway, time. Uh, that... Uh, answering questions that people like had about that long distance hiking in general and my experience in the Arizona trail. And there, it was a theme in some of the questions. Cause I was really, I did a daily post on Instagram about it and was really honest about it throughout the hike. And I was miserable a lot of the time as you are when you're doing something that's incredibly hard alone for, yeah. you know, weeks and weeks and weeks. And so I got some questions, I mean, that were very, you know, why do something where you're mostly miserable or like, what's the goal of it beyond just how far can I push myself? And so, I mean, I certainly don't have an easy answer to that, but I've been thinking about that topic a lot that for whatever reason, for me, I get something, I mean, it's type two fun, right? I really get something out of that. I like the grind of things. I, even in the moment when I'm really miserable, I still 
knew that I wanted to be there. Even when it was the, you know, having like the most breakdown, like I see that as a really clear path of self growth and confidence. And, you know, that, and I obviously proved myself right by not quitting. And the feeling that I had when I finished, like no one will ever be able to take that away from me. And it was a hundred percent worth every miserable moment. But it's so hard to kind of put that into words when someone's like, why would you do something that makes you miserable most of the time? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. I but think, yeah. I think with that, like, I, one of the things I like about ultra running and the long distance thing, and, you know, I've spent plenty of miserable miles in races is for me, I don't just have value on the finish, right? Like I have, I put value on the experience of the journey. And it sounds like for you that that was similar. Like it's not you're not just trying to like be able to say that you did this thing Mm -hmm. and like there's like a deeper experience and a process that you're attached to. And that's, I feel like that's why I'm willing to do those things is because I'm attached to the process, not the outcome. Uh, And I feel that when I do attach to an outcome, that's when I have the most, like that's when I'm most easily swayed to want to quit or I have the most negative thoughts or, you know, don't handle those things as well because I'm like, well, I wanted to run this time or do this thing. And now I'm not going to be able to because yeah, because it's then as soon as yeah, that's yeah, you're speaking of something that I think about a lot that this idea, I find that I need an outcome based goal in order to anchor myself in the process. Like it wouldn't have been as fun for me to start, for example, the Arizona trail or to start training or just like, I don't, I don't just run for fun. I like the, the aspect of training for a race, having a race on the calendar, something to anchor the work, yep. if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> I actually used that exact phrase on my Instagram yesterday. Seriously? So yes. <laughs> like, okay. I'm going to have to go back and read that. That's why <laughs> um, that I think just, you and I are on the same wavelength. It's Clearly, I'm into that. That's amazing. Plot twist. Um, Yeah, that this idea of like having a way to anchor the work to like set up the paradigm of, you know, whatever the thing is that I'm going to do. But I'm most interested in setting goals, not so much about achieving the outcome as about the person that I have to become in order to even have a shot at that outcome, which is, I think, what you're speaking to as well, that this process, like, I mean, again, the Arizona Trail is just an easy thing to use as comparison. I, I mean, I did that. I set out to do that because I legitimately didn't believe that I could do that. And I knew that I would have to become so much stronger, so much tougher, so much more confident, so much more self-reliant and like even to have a shot. Right. And so that was what was appealing to me is, okay, who do I want to be? And it's been interesting. Even coming back, I have felt myself being bolder and more confident, even like calling out like dumbass things that dudes say in public sometimes, or I'm like, I'm so (laughs) much more confident that I would like, it carries over is what I'm saying. Like, you know, like what you learn through the the process of, I don't know, pursuing one goal. Yeah. I'm interested in that making me a stronger, better person, less so about the outcome. Exactly. And I actually find that that's um, what drives me in my running to choose my goals is to do the thing that is the like that is the most process driven. Yes. So like I in 2011 um tried to qualify like my goal became I want to see if I can qualify for the Olympic trials. And that was a very big process for me. I had to I had been, you know, deep in ultra running at that point. I hadn't been doing a lot of fast marathoning and I had to 
swing from being like a 250 something marathoner who had been like doing hundred mile race training and things like that to trying to run a sub 245. And I, it was so much fun to try to like change myself into this, like into this athletic being and like all the things that came with it. And like the way I had to, and it's such a big swing that I had to like really attach to that process. And, you know, I did it and I ended up like, running and I ran at the trials and it was really amazing. And then when we opened the bakery, like, you know, eventually like I got to the point where like that I stopped being attached to the process. And I was just like, when the next trials window opened, I was like, I should be able to do this because I've already done it before. Mm. So I, I started attaching to the outcome and like as soon as I attached to that way, I moved further and further and further away from like running the time because I was like, I'd get into a race, something bad would happen. And I would like get off track and just be like, well, didn't make it like, and I ended up like kind of reinvigorating my running when I came back to ultra. And then I shifted my focus towards going back towards the, like to racing Western States and Leadville and doing these really iconic races and like changing myself into like that person. And now like after this year and like Leadville was kind of the only thing left on my current bucket list in terms of ultra racing, in terms of a, like hundred mile trail distances at like this point, it was, you know, it's very easy for me to naturally be like, you know what I want to do right now? Like I got an amazing hundred mile shape. I crushed that. I, you know, I was a sea level person who managed to run Leadville. Like that's like, that was really cool. And now I'm really intrigued to see if I can swing back and, you know, five years later, go back and try to run another trials qualifier and run a faster marathon time. Yeah. And I'm like super excited about it because I'm like, it's, I feel so far away from that goal. And so I really have this, like looking at the process, like, Ooh, I have to do all these like marathon workouts, scare the crap out of me. Like I don't, like I wake up in the morning on the days I have workouts and I'm like, I have like pre-race jitters and like they freak me out because they're hard physically, hard mentally, but I'm really like, it also excites me because I'm like, can I do this? Can mm -hmm. I build myself into this thing? And like, like mentally, how am I going to be able to navigate that? And so, yeah, it's, it's really cool to be able to do that. And that's what I love about like the sport that I've chosen is that like, I kind of feel like I have this buffet of which, because that's, you know, how I'm motivated. I'm not type a, I'm motivated by this process. So within the sport, I have like, Ooh, I can go run a hundred miles. I could try to run a hundred miles fast. I could try to run like a super mountainous, crazy hundred miler, or I could try to run a marathon or a fast half 5k or something. And like all of these options in between, like it's really cool to kind of, that's what keeps me in the sport and really thriving is like this ability to have all of these things 
be with exist within the sport mm-hmm. and be ready to kind of challenge me whenever I I want. I love hearing you talk about this. I mean, yeah, clearly we have a very we come from a very like similar mental process with this. I was talking to a friend the other day. Um, I don't even know how we got on the subject of like what we think some of our strong like like personal strengths are that maybe no one else would guess at. And my answer after thinking about it was that I think one of my strengths is being able to in real time know what I need to take on next for my own growth basically. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I had ever articulated it until that conversation. And I'm thinking about that again, like listening to you talk, just this process of, you know, what's going to be the next goal that is going to push me to become, you know, whatever it is that I need next. And yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, anyway, so I really relate to what you're saying. Yeah. And I mean, like, with my goals, like, nobody, I'm not, like, if I achieve my goal for like, the time that I want to run the marathon, like, it, it would be, nice but it like isn't gonna like be life-changing yet it's so important to me and like that's when I know it's like I didn't run western states I dropped let's see the first time I dropped was or the only time I dropped at western states was 2009 and I didn't go back to western states until 2016 because I had to wait to be to have that fire about the goal Mm -hmm. until I knew that I would put in that it was like that thing that was genuine for me. Um, but yeah, it's like, I can always tell when I've got my teeth in the, like in the right thing, because I have that feeling like I just cannot wait to do the hard things and do like, and it just sticks, right? Like uh-huh. I can always tell when something's like disingenuine. Cause I'm just kind of like, eh. And I mean, I cannot, I can't fake it. I there was like yeah. a, a meme that went around a couple of years ago, and it had it was like something like it was a picture of a light switch, and it said my brain, and then the top of it was completely obsessed, like the light switch is on, completely obsessed, or not at all interested. And that's completely me. Like I either like I know exactly what you're talking about that feeling of when it's gotten under your skin and it feels really scary and it's you know feels like outside the limits of your current ability, but just a little bit outside that if you were to really push for it, that it sort of enters into the realm of wild possibility those are the goals that I'm yep yep you know and you know what that feels like and I can't fake it (laughs) yeah Um, Yeah. I've been thinking sort of in this vein too about this this idea that you know these sort of big sexy goals are you know whatever qualifying another Olympic 12 Olympic qualifying time for a marathon or whatever these really big sexy goals that I mean as you know and as everyone knows they're accomplished like one small and very unsexy step at a time and I mean, it sounds like you genuinely like the process of hard work, but is there anything that's helped you to lean more into that, like to fall in love with the grind? Um, I think it's just the experience of like seeing it in like happen, like the, in my career, like that's how things have gone to be like, I've gotten kind of like that po- I'm in a positive feedback loop with that where it's like I know that like if I do this work that I actually have the ability to move towards the goal that I've set out for myself um and so like n- having that like curiosity of like how close can I get and like also just like knowing that the things that I'm setting out for myself 
there are no, there aren't shortcuts, right? Like I can't just go have like one, you know, killer workout and run, you know, a marathon trials qualifying time, right? That it's going to take the things that aren't fun and the, you know, the endless miles and the, you know, stricter diet and the early bedtime, though I have to say I'm not, I don't have any problem going to bed really early yeah, me <laughs> at all, at all. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, like making these sacrifices, it's just like to know that I have set out some, like I talked to my, my coach and, uh, and like, you know, I had them be like, had my coach be like, realistically, like, what is my human potential? Like in the, like for the marathon say like what like what do you think my perfect day perfect training all comes together in my lifetime like po- like what is my potential and like so we had that conversation and they're like uh, him and my coach's boss were like you can run x time but you're never going to run I'm never going to run like a 220 something right mm-hmm. so it's like to know that within my capabilities, like what I've shown over time that I have the potential to run within this certain time. Like there's just so much curiosity about like not leaving untapped potential. Yeah. So that like also is a part of it because I know if I don't do the hard things, then I'll never know if I've like tapped that full potential. And, you know, at this point, you know, I'm 35 years old and I, I'm in like the peak, like the prime to, to go after this potential. And so like, it just makes it easy to want to do those hard things because I'm like, this is the time for this. This is like, this is when I have the opportunity to put these ingredients into a bowl and have it come out the way I want Mm -hmm. in this, you know, and this outcome. And that's to me is just exciting. Um, So it makes that work like that much more fun. And also like, I think that part of the process for me is like, and this is one thing that I've kind of explored through my cross training is like just finding a way to like, not have the feelings that I have about like, like doing those hard workouts, like, you know, where I'm on the bike and I'm like, I feel like I'm riding so hard. My legs are going to fall off and I don't want to do this where I'm like, how about I just find a way to like, like uh, a friend of mine calls it run eyeballs out. Like I am trying to find a way to like, just go to my potential. And mm-hmm. so it just makes it easier to kind of do that work. Yeah. The potential thing hits me a lot. It's so it's so interesting to have this conversation with you because I, I think about this a lot in terms of, okay, so obviously you are at an actual competitive level with this. And so for me, I always think, well, it must be easier if someone actually has the talent, like it must be easier to put in the hard work when you actually could win, right? I mean, that's probably just a story that I tell myself because the question that I always ask is, you know, if you're using running, you know, like a middle of the pack runner, right? Like someone like me who's, I mean, the only way I'm ever going to win anything is if I race my mom. Like it's just, it's real, like what you said about not running a 220, that's me not, you know, ever winning anything, right? Yeah. And so if that's the case, then it's why do I still want to try so hard? It's this idea that that it's worth it 
to get the best out of yourself, even if you're never going to be the best, right? That yeah. there's something in that, that, that what you were saying about potential that speaks to me so much of like, sometimes I'm afraid with running, with creative things, and I'm sure this is some internalized misogyny, which is a whole other <laughs> subject, but that I'm afraid of being seen as too driven, too competitive, too ambitious, taking things too seriously, right? With one, with running, it would be so easy to say, well, it doesn't matter. It's not like you're going to win, right? It's not like you're ever going to make yeah. any money from it. It's not like, like all of those things are things that I could tell myself or someone like me. And yet it's been so gratifying the times that I totally did give myself over to the process. And I am doing two workouts a day and I am, and it's, there's yeah. just, I don't know, there's something in that of, it feels really good to let yourself, like you said, go to your potential and actually just see what's possible regardless of if anyone thinks that's a worthwhile way to spend your time. Exactly. And I don't, I constantly have to have that conversation with people about like, they'll, you know, they'll be like, Oh, I'll never be as fast as you. And I'm like, it, that, that's like, Today was a perfect example. So uh, I went to CrossFit. I've been going to CrossFit for a couple months. I have this women's only class that I love. And like, they're, they're like these awesome, like 40 and 50 year old women in the class. And they are just like, they kick my ass so hard on like strength based stuff. And then we do something for endurance. So today it happened to be that we ran a mile, right? And, you know, I just got cleared for running like a week ago after having foot surgery and we go out and run the mile and it's supposed to be like 70% of your max. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I don't, like, I don't, I don't. So I ran, I ran the mile and a couple other people went out and did it too. And I ran a six Oh seven and, <laughs> <laughs> and the next, the next woman comes in who I adore her. Like she can do all these things that I can't like, you know, real pull-ups and stuff. And she ran a 729 and she, I was trying and she was like, I just don't like, she felt bad that I ran like faster than her. And, and yet you're like, I won lead though. <laughs> at the same time, she said that she had just run a, a PR in the mile. And I'm like, we had done a workout before that. And I was like, you have to understand, like, I like, I, I was like, I'm not saying this to be like, Psh, and this, I, that was slow for me, but I'm like, you just did like something that was like, that was really hard for you. I was like, that was really hard for me too. I was like, I have, I just ran like significantly slower than I've run for a marathon. Right. Like, and I was killing myself for that 607. Right. Like, and you did this 729 and like, I'm telling you like what we just got out of ourselves, like the effort is the same. And like, you should be proud of what the effort is that you put into that. And like the time that she ran is nothing to like shake a stick at. That's very fast for somebody who's, I think she's either close to, or is 50 years old. And like, I'm like, it doesn't, the time itself doesn't matter. It's like the way that you go about the process, like mm -hmm. that you're willing to put yourself out there and to choose those goals. And there's no, like there is nothing inherently like this is actually why I, one of the things that I love about ultra running that doesn't necessarily exist in marathoning is like in ultra running, like whether you are the first person or the last person, like there's a lot more mutual respect for the completion of the distance as like, that is, that's the thing. Like we all did the thing. Like there's no, there's not this like hierarchy of like, I did the thing better than you did the thing. Like, no, I have a, I, I personally 
can't imagine taking 30 hours. I don't think I would want to do something that took me 30 hours. Mm -hmm. Like my joke is that I run so fast because I just want to be done. (laughs) Yeah. When I, Jason Fitzgerald, uh, he's been on the podcast and runs a site called strengthrunning.com and he coached me for a while. And that was one of the things that we used to talk about that he was like, I think about like basically that his marathon time was so much faster than my marathon time. And he was like, but you were just spent, you just spent so much time in your feet. Like that's hard even in a whole other way that like, you know, that it's so much time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I, I was, you know, after I had that conversation with my CrossFit classmate, I was like, I, I was thinking about like my own potential and like, you know, I'm like, I do, I, one of my gifts is like the potential that I have for, you know, running a fast pace, like is higher than a lot of people. And that's, you know, and that is, and I honor that by like pursuing these goals. But like, if I didn't have that potential, I like the way I attached the process, I would, I was still, I was doing that when I first started running. Like I was just about the process. It didn't matter that I was not, you know, professional or fast or whatever. Like it just, I, and I think that we should focus on like the fact that we are doing these things and these, like these super hard things and looking at the process of bettering ourselves through that. I think that is the the common bond between people. And it shouldn't be about like a superiority, like, oh, well, you run so much faster than me. It was like, I don't, who cares? Like who cares? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, this idea of the intrinsic value in doing hard work and in pushing yourself within your own. Yeah, I love that. Um, So what would you say to a runner who's interested in moving up in race distance and maybe doing their first ultra in 2018? Is there anything that you wish that you would have known at the beginning? Um, I actually feel like uh, a bit of naivete is actually good for you. Um, I really had not done a ton of trail running when I did my first ultra. All I had heard was that it was totally fine to walk uphill and that you could pretty much, and that aid stations were like these like mini buffets of like all the things that are awesome in the world. Um, <laughs> like drinking Coca-Cola and eating m ms It's like, of course, this is the most awesome thing that I ever know. And like, I tell people who are going to run their first ultra distance race to just go have the experience. Like if you are in, marathon shape, like you're probably in 50 K shape and you're not going to really know the things that are going to happen. You know, this long list of all the things that are part of ultra running until you go do it. And so you need to go do it and get your feet wet and to understand how your body is going to react and just have no expectations. It's just like have that immersive experience versus like, I feel like sometimes like there's people who want to like their goal is to like nail it on the first time. And I'm like, you know, why, like, why not learn the things that you need to learn so that if, so that you have the ability to improve because you're trying to get it right from the start when you don't even know what it's going to be like. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that speaks so much to my long distance hiking experience. You don't know what you don't know. And yeah, <laughs> yeah I, it's like with writing, right? The advice of uh, giving yourself permission to write a shitty first draft, like just yeah. go kind of like break the seal, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so, and obviously you mentioned um, this being kind of a tumultuous year for you with injury. 
Is there anything that you would say to someone who's dealing with an injury and struggling emotionally as a result of that, specifically when it comes to, you know, running or athletic performance? Well, it's been interesting just because last fall, I definitely struggled a lot more mentally with the injury. Um, I think the first place for like the first stop in kind of like dealing with injury is like getting answers, right? Like the problem for me mentally was that nobody could agree what what was wrong with me. Um, which meant every day I would wake up and be like, does my foot hurt? Do, can I run? Who's how many, how many out of 10 doctors or 734 doctors say I can run today or next week? Like, I think I like the way that I handled it. Like I took a very proactive approach. Um, and I think that a lot of times runners like don't want to be injured. So they don't take proactive approach to like their health. But honestly, for me, like we're talking about like your physical health and that's very important. Like aside from running or any or athletics or anything else, like just kind of going to that baseline of like, have I done something serious enough that like could make me in the long run, lose this thing completely? Like, if I don't pay attention to this, could this manifest into something that stops me from being able to do the thing I love? And so I tend to be proactive and be very um, engaged in my, in like my proactive well-being. Um, and that helped mentally a lot to kind of work through it and getting kind of clear parameters of what I couldn't, couldn't do. Um, even when the answer last, like last fall was, don't do anything for four weeks. Like then I just didn't do anything for four weeks. Um, and you know, fast forward to that problem. I got better. I was able to return to run, but that like vague nebulous foot problem of the fall, eventually my foot actually broke. Um, and I, didn't actually, it it got misdiagnosed back in March. Um, and I was told I could run and I ran on it, uh, for seven months. (laughs) Um, and so I won Leadville with a broken foot, which is, you know, (laughs) very, I ended ended up doing nine total races. Um, but again, like initially, like when I saw the doctor in March after my foot had broken and they missed it, they were like, you might have some pain. So there might be arthritis type pain. And so I like, they had looked at MRI, had no reason to think that like they had missed something. It didn't hurt enough to think that they missed something. And so I listened to my doctors and they said, you can run, you might have pain. And the way that I framed like to me, pain and injury are, they're different, right? Like if it's an injury, you need to stop and take care of it. But pain was like, okay, well, I broke this. They thought, or actually I had broken something called a tarsal coalition where I had my navicular and my calcaneus were connected and that's not how they're supposed to be. Um, so the cartilage or fibrous tissue that had connected them is what broke. And so they're like, oh, you'll have arthritis there because you just instead of surgically cutting that, you cut it for, you fixed it for your, you fixed your foot for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I started 
And at the t- like when that happened, the races that I had planned were all road races. And so my pain was relatively minimal. But when I started training for Leadville and started doing a lot of more lateral movement, I had more pain. And so again, I went for the proactive approach. I called my doctor before Leadville and said, I'm not talking to you till after Leadville, but like, I, I want to explore what this is. Cause if this is arthritis and this is what this feels like now, then what's it going to feel like in a couple of years of mm-hmm. continuing to run? And I don't know, I think, you know, and I ultimately ended up having to have foot surgery because they found a very, like a full fracture in a different part of my calcaneus. And, you know, when you run on that for nine races and seven months, you can't just put yourself in a boot and fix it. And right. everybody, you know, when I went into surgery, like when I came out, everybody was like, it must be so hard to not be able to run. And I'm like, it's actually not like I, I made this choice to be healthy. Like I, I made the choice to take the time to fix this thing that has been, that hurts, right? Like I am making the choice to not be in pain. And like when you make, and I, I think too many times with injury, people are like afraid of losing their fitness. Guess what? If you can lose your fitness, you can get it back. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and they're like, all of these, like, it's, again, it kind of goes back to what we're talking about at the beginning, like the stories that we tell ourselves. Like, I think the thing that I've taken away from this injury mostly is that a lot of that is just noise and like fear and those like deep, dark, tender places where it's like, that's not actually valid, you know, like being injured doesn't make me like a failure as a runner. Like, and it's like, so I can't run. Okay. What can I do if I can't do anything? Like what are then, right. What are some good books you can read? Yeah. Yeah. What are some good books I can read? Like the first couple, like I was actually upset with my surgeon because he, I was supposed to be like completely non weight bearing for just over two weeks and like kind of like on the couch, not doing anything. And apparently I have abnormal foot anatomy on top of everything I've already described. And so the surgery was like, uh, it went from, I went into surgery thinking I was going to be out for 12 weeks and came out and it was only six weeks. And so at six days he put me in like a walking boot and I was like, but I'm not, like, where's my couch time? I have not watched all six seasons of the game of Thrones yet. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, well, you can still do that. And I'm like, no, I can't. So I just, I don't know. I just, I feel like it's a good time when you're injured is to examine like why you wrap up your self-worth in kind of like your athletic goals. Um, I feel like, you know, it's like you miss a race and you're like, Oh, I'm such a failure. I can't, I didn't get to, I somehow like not done this thing that I said I'm going to do. And it's like, you're trying to pursue something ultimately that is about, like for yourself and that like your families and your friends are still going to love you if you do the thing or not do the thing, right? Like your self-worth shouldn't be tied up in that outcome. And like it most, for the most part, like the events that we do, if you miss it, that's going to come around the next year. Like you have the opportunity is still going to be there and it will only be there if you 
care for that injury. Yeah, no, I love that. I think, yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I love it. Um, I think that's a good place actually to start to wrap up. And the way that we end these are with um, a series of hopefully fun little rapid fire questions. There's seven of them and it's questions that the Patreon community, the awesome folks who fund the podcast uh, want me to ask all of our eight guests this season. So if you want to answer seven random questions, I do. The more random, the better. Okay, here we go. If you could have a hot fling with one fictional character, who would it be? (laughs) What? Yep. So like not the like a character in a book or, you know, not the actor themselves, but like the character they play in a TV show or a movie. Like who's the fictional character that you're going to have a hot fling with? I don't I don't know. I maybe the things that I've been reading lately have just not been conducive to that. (laughs) Or the things I'm watching are all way too like there's nobody on Game of there's no character on Game of Thrones, you know, like I I don't know. I'm going to have to say. I'll get back to you on that. Okay, you're going to have to. See, this is going to come to you in like a crazy 4 a.m. moment where you're like, I want to have sex with this character. (laughs) And then please update us on Twitter. (laughs) That's all I was going to say. I'm I'm here for that. Everyone watch out for that. Um, What's something that you learned this year that changed either the way you think about yourself or the world in general? Ooh, that's... I could go super deep on that one, but um, I learned that even when we feel that we are a hundred percent justified and super self-righteous in how we feel like I'm a hundred percent right about this thing, right? Even when we feel that way, we still have the ability to enact change to change whatever the situation is. Um, I had several examples of that this year where I felt something about like I felt right about something and I felt self-righteous anger. And then I realized that in order to make the situation better, I couldn't just sit there like a queen on her throne, like waiting for the other person to realize that they were just wrong and come grovel at my feet. Like I had to like look at my, my own behavior and like how I could actually make things better without necessarily like giving up my boundaries. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to give up on this, that I'm right. It's just like that there is always something you can do to kind of like work through those situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Such a good lesson. What's something that didn't go as expected for you this year? Uh, Bird strike. Uh, That doesn't mean anything to anybody. I mean, I I know Um, what it is, but yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, My sponsor, Wazel, decided to do this thing where we did this like, it was a, a... a relay called the speed project. And it was six women plus six more women crewing for us running from LA to Vegas. Um, and my, um, aforementioned foot break happened while making coffee the about two hours before I got an airplane to go do that. So I, my first failure was trying to run my share of 340 miles on a broken foot. Um, that did not work out very well for me. And then on top of that, I got, um, food poisoning and had to be driven out of death Valley, um, and dropped off at an emergency room (laughs) because I was in such dire straits. So that was a not super great experience for me. I was 
like I didn't come into that like in a great place because I was one freaking out about my foot and I was going through a lot of things personally and I had just gotten better from being injured and I definitely that was definitely not the highlight of my year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I watched the video about it. I can imagine. Um, so the next question, I'm particularly interested to hear what your answer is for this. Tell me about um, a time when you feel like you really like pushed your own limits, like when you impressed yourself by what was possible. That's a good question. It's actually going to be, it's actually interesting that my answer is this year about let's see, a month and a half after my foot broke, I was back to running and I had, I went to South Africa to run the two oceans, 56 K. And then eight days later, I went to the London marathon to run London. And given that I had basically been running for like less than two months, I showed up at, I, you know, I, I made it through two oceans. Like I had a decent day. Like my foot didn't hurt. I was very impressed with that, but to turn around and like run a marathon, like my coach had basically said, there's no way in hell you're going to run faster than three hours. Um, it's, you know, just given all the factors and I ran a two fifty four at London and I really just went for it. And like, you know, I know I've run like my PR is a 238, like a 254 is not a fast time for me, but like the way, like the amount of guts that it took, like I went out on like a kamikaze, like my splits were like my first half was so much faster, but I just was like, you know what? I have nothing to lose and I have nothing to prove. And I just want to see what's possible. Like in this moment, in this place that like, you know, as I was talking earlier, like I wanted to do London as my first marathon. So I finally had this opportunity and I just wasn't going to let it go quietly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that. The idea of, you know, that it takes being really gutsy at the beginning. I, I know I mentioned Jason Fitzgerald before. I remember us having a conversation once about race strategies, right? And how, you know, people are always saying, start out really slow, be conservative. I mean, more with marathon stuff like that, you know, don't burn it all out too soon. And maybe 80% of the time, that's the right advice or whatever. But he was talking about how sometimes and often your best performances are going to be like, are you willing to blow up, basically, you know, that if you're willing to go out at a pace that feels not sustainable and just like a hang on like for your life yep. that that's sometimes you know that you you might blow up and not finish or something incredible could happen exactly mm-hmm. I love that um what's something that you plan to do less of in 2018 um uh well trail running because my at least initially because my goal is with the marathon um but also just continuing on the like deep, dark, negative, like thought process thing. I'm like, as I embark on this goal of running a PR in the marathon, like doing less of that negative self-talk, mm-hmm. just continuing to do that. Mm-hmm. So the next question is about books, um, which two or three books, any type of book, any genre at all, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you recommend or reread most often? You know, it's funny, I uh, actually have my master's in library and information science. (laughs) Interesting. I didn't know that. Most people don't. Uh, I was a children's librarian. Um, 
I really love the Brene Brown books. Um, every March, I pretty much read them because March, I'm cursed in the month of March, apparently. Um, I really love the Brene Brown books. Um, I So all of her books are great. Um, in, in terms of like being an introspect, like my introspection needs like a focus because otherwise it's just, you know, my own voice echoing around in my own head. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the structure of her books really kind of helps with the, again, with the process. Um, I really love the book, The Alchemist. Um, I read that. A t- I've read that a ton. Um, I was actually given that book by my college basketball coach when I told her when I went in to tell her that I was quitting the team a week before my first game, she gave me that book to try to convince me that I was making the wrong choice. Um, and it actually turned out to be the book that just confirmed that I was making the right choice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and the book that I think running wise is the most important to me is probably how bad do you want it by Matt Fitzgerald. It's so good. So good. Um, have you ever read Elite Minds? No. That in that same vein of book, that one was probably my favorite. I'll put it on my list. I need something yeah, new to read. Good. I mean, I, any mental toughness things I want to read forever. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, the last question: If you could leave our community, the listeners, with one call to action, maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take, what would it be? Wow. I mean, I feel like there's so much going on in the world right now. Um, right. <laughs> let me pick. Let's see which subject should I pick. Um, I think that the thing that I've been kind of like most invested in recently, um, a lot of it has to do with the Me Too campaign. Um, I actually, I know that was a whole subject we didn't get to your blog post on that. Maybe we can do another. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think the thing that I, the, the point that I made in that blog is about women supporting other women. And I feel like the call to action is, and it's, you know, for men too, like to be advocates for women and to be like the, to believe other women, to support other women, to hear other women, to be on their side, like to be on each other's team, to like help lift each other up. I feel like there's so much divisiveness in the world right now that like we all need like a badass lady gang and like whatever it is, like for whatever, like whatever you are into, like to build those kind of communities around yourself, I think is really important. And I think is what's going to help change so many different, like so many different areas of life that are, you know, disintegrating around us. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Believe women, support women, build yourself a badass lady gang. I'm here for that. I am here for that. Um, what's the best place for people to find you and say hi? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? Um, I am on Twitter. Uh, that's fast underscore foodie. And I'm on Instagram, which is just fast foodie, no, no underscore. Um, I don't do Facebook. So if you try to friend me, I also don't do Facebook. If you try to friend me on Facebook, I will, unless I have personally had you over for dinner or like know your children, I'm probably going to say no. Sorry. Uh, uh. I love it. Um, Well, I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Devin, this was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. I definitely couldn't do this without you. 
And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-funded show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Megan. Hi, Megan. Hi. You ready to answer some fun rapid-fire questions? I am. I'm excited. All right. My favorite question, what are you totally obsessed with right now? So actually, lately, I'm trying to be unobsessed. I'm trying to stop obsessing over things. Okay, say more about that. I'm someone who like obsesses about stuff really, really easily. And that usually makes me do a good job at the things that I'm currently working on. Um, But lately, I've just been like, it just overwhelms my brain. So I've been overwhelmed lately, and I'm trying to stop obsessing about things and instead just like do a variety of things. So I'm trying to get off my phone because I was obsessing over Instagram and obsessing over certain people's accounts. And I just need to like, like certain comedians and certain whatever um, things on Twitter. And I was just like, they was taking over my brain. Um, TV shows on my phone was, you know, binge watching them. So I'm like trying to get away from that, starting to read more books again and trying to obsess less and do more of a variety of things instead of like getting totally into one thing. Cause mm. that's just, not healthy for my brain right now. No, I like it. I'm into it. I, uh, yeah, I am reaching sort of a pinnacle of need to put the phone down for a while. I feel like yeah. I go through phases where sometimes yeah, I have a really good, you know, cause like there's nothing wrong. I love Instagram. There's nothing wrong with social right. media. It's oh, just exactly. about how I like, there's times when I have good boundaries and I'm actually getting deep work done also. But now I feel like there's so many fun things happening on it. That's like every 15 minutes I'm like, refresh, refresh. No, not yes. good. <laughs> yeah. It becomes like a, you scroll automatically without even thinking and you're like, you know, maybe I don't need to bring my phone into the bathroom. I mean, like, that's not necessary. <laughs> I think about that all the time. Like, I'm not important. Like, no one's gonna, like, no right. one needs me. I can it's just okay. pee. It's fine. Uh, right. Yeah. I've also noticed it when I, because there's, obviously, I do other things on my phone, too. I use the Notes app a lot, for example. And me I too. Yep. noticed how, like, I'll pick up my phone to do one thing, and then mm-hmm. either before that thing or after that thing, then I'm on Instagram again. It's like this default, like, I click into it so fast. Yes. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you check it, like, eight times you know, 80 times a day. And you're like, this is not necessary. Yeah, I know. I my, don't need to do this. At the, at the time of this recording, my parents are coming next week to visit. And um, I'm like, you know, I think I need to just take a little break for like a week yeah. or two. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm trying right now is to just take a break from it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, so what's one place in the town where you live that you would really recommend people check out if they ever travel there? A favorite restaurant, coffee shop, bookstore, park, anything that you love? So we have something that's called the airline trail. It's these trails that used to be railroads like crazy long time ago. And now they're just these trails, um, dirt trails. And there's so many other cool little trails that go off them. So I would say anyone who comes to Colchester, I shouldn't be saying my town, should I? Anyone who comes here should be explore the airline trails, go on the trails, explore the woods because it's just amazing. It's there's so many little nooks and crannies and it goes to these rivers and little like quiet oasises that everyone should take a moment to enjoy. That sounds lovely. What's one thing that you've had to let go of this year in order to move forward? Huh? I would right now, like currently in this moment, it's the phone thing. I have to like, just give myself peace from it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would say that trying to do everything like you only get one life. So it's like, sometimes you're like, Oh, I have to do that. And I want to do that. And I want to do that because there's so many cool things that you want to do in life, but that's been getting me bogged down. And I just need to enjoy what I'm currently doing instead of thinking about all the different things mm-hmm. yeah, I hear that you. are possible. You know what I mean? Like there's so many life choices that you could be making and every single day and 
then that gets crazy overwhelming and you're like, but I'm missing out on that and I'm missing out on that. And I'm trying to just enjoy and accept where I am right now instead of thinking about all the infinite possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think about this doable. all the time. Yeah, I think about a lot how... I mean, you can do a lot of different things over the course of your life, but you can't do them all at the same time. And right, any and you don't yeah. need to worry about doing them all right now. Exactly, exactly. Like, mm-hmm. The things that you want the most will kind of come back around, right? And, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, what's one decision in your past that, had you chosen differently, you feel like would have led you down an entirely different path in your life? Huh. Um. I remember there was this, one of my economics professors asked me in college, she said, there's this internship in Washington, D.C. this summer, and I really think you'd be good for it. And I was just taking economics classes as part of, uh, I, I have a history and a math degree. I was weird in college and wanted to do both. So, but it really, it was just, I was doing it for fun. As nerdy as I was, I was purely taking the economics class for fun. And I was like, oh, that'd be cool. But like, no, I'm going to be a math teacher. So I'm all good. And now I'm a math teacher and I've been a math teacher for 12 years. So it's just like that moment. If I looking back at that, I'm like, I was offered an internship in Washington DC. And I said, no, like what? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm glad, like I love my life. But if I had said yes at that point, then I'd be living a totally different life right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't remember who it was in our community that put this question forward as one of the potential end of episode questions for season 13. And there were so many good questions. I didn't even know. Like, yeah. I was like, ah, what do I do? <laughs> and so I picked some of them for this too. But ever since that question, or it was some variation of that question was posed, I've been thinking about that too. Like what are the real pivot points that, man, if I would have taken a left instead of a right, <laughs> you know, it would have been so yeah. different. But that's one of those things that I have to be like, don't obsess about. Yeah. 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 You, you know what I mean? Like, you can still make life choices, but you can't go back and change anything from, you know, 10 years ago. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So the last question, what's one thing that you've recently been wishing that people were more open and honest about? Oh gosh, so many things. Um, I think I would say feelings, what people truly feel. I don't think that people, I feel like people just sort of put on facades and you know, don't really express themselves or say what they feel. And I think there's a lot of shame with feelings. Um, uh, one of my students just had me read The Giving Tree, the children's book, mm. and I started crying. I mean, like, I teach high school students. Like, there's no reason for me to be crying in math class. But the kids were all like, you're crying? And I was like, and I explained why I was crying and why, like, the tree, like, why the book hit me. And they were all like, you're emotional. And I'm like, yeah, and that's okay. Like, it doesn't. There's no shame in that. I think people sort of just like don't really feel, don't allow them to feel too deeply, themselves to feel too deeply. Then I feel like they don't share their feelings. So I feel like there's like a weird shame in feelings. Yeah, I think and that's I feel like yeah, really beautifully said. Mm-hmm. We need to be okay with expressing them and be more accepting of people's feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to not, I mean, I think that this is particularly, well, I guess not just a female thing, but the, I, I know that there is a fear sometimes that's come up for me of, oh, people are going to think that I'm too emotional or too much or too sensitive right. or too, you know, because we're told right. those are not okay things to right. be. And I think that that for guys, we don't allow them to. Right. Or they feel like they shouldn't be. When and just imagine how much better, like, everyone's relationships would be if everyone just really said how that we're honest about it. And like, sometimes your feelings are going to get hurt. Yeah. But that's, 
it's better just to be honest about what you're feeling. Mm, I love it. So you are a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making the podcast possible since you make a small and powerful reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season. And I would love for you to share why you decided to support the show. So I think about how much money like Taylor Swift and Beyonce and the, you know, the pro football players and everyone, all the big entertainers get, um, we're constantly sending money their way. And I think your level, and I support a couple of other podcasts as well. Those podcasts are what I listen to running into work in the morning. And when I'm sitting there doing correcting and they're just as important to me, even more so important than any of the other entertainers that I pay attention to. Um, so I think, I mean, you're working, what you do is work and I'm consuming that work. So just like I get paid for teaching, you deserve to be paid. Um, I think there's like huge inequities, like Taylor Swift maybe shouldn't be getting paid as much and maybe you guys should be getting paid more. Yeah, I, I will take um, some of Taylor Swift's money. That's, it's, <laughs> if anyone would like to funnel Taylor Swift's money to me, I will put it to good use. <laughs> yeah, so I just think you're working and you deserve to be paid for your work. And I, I absolutely love your podcast. I love the conversations that come up and the um, just the the open communication. So I, you deserve to be supported. I love that. Um, you mentioned that you support a couple of other shows too. Any other favorites that you want to give a shout out to that you think people would enjoy listening to? Um, some of the, a whole bunch of comedians. Um, Jared Freed has a podcast that's sometimes inappropriate. It's J train, but absolutely hilarious. Um, I used to Julia Hanlon's running on Ohm. I absolutely loved, um, she stopped that, but I still have that on my, podcast subscribed podcast list those are the only ones i can think of off the top of my head right now i have literally like a whole list of subscribed podcasts and mm-hmm. I, know. I don't even remember which ones i'm supporting me too that's <laughs> another thing sometime where you mentioned the being obsessed and getting overwhelmed sometimes when i think yes. about how many podcasts i want to listen to how many books i want to read like i just can't still like there's not there's literally not enough time in a lifetime for yes. me to consume all the content that i Right. And then Um, if I start listening to one, then I like listen to every episode, you know what I mean? Going back three years and I need to stop that. Yeah, (laughs) totally. It gets obsessive. Yeah. I love it. Um, So thanks for that. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus lots of other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I honestly can't tell you how much your support means to me, and it'll be so much fun to get to know you better once you've joined our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can, and no matter what, we're in this together. 